from WBEZ Chicago and Reform Memories. This is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of last century, a group of folk built a dream, the town where happiness was the main objective. But as history has shown, death catches up to everyone. So take stock and join us as we look deep into Pleasure Town. You know, Sai, family is one of those funny things. You say funny, I say fraught with tragedy. That can be true. My father certainly was a tragic man, but it can be a source of comfort, too. Well, look at us. Claude with the warm and fuzzy and me all cold and cloudy. Seems like the both of us was hitting the head. <laughs> Lord knows I've given myself more concussions than I can count. But I'm being sincere. Family keeps you grounded in a world so eager to sweep you away. That's what family should do, yes, but that assumes each member can see beyond their own desires. I suppose you're right. Sometimes the tree flourishes while the apple rots. As selfish as they were, our fathers paved a path for us. Truer words, friend. And then you're left to walk that path or spend your life doing all you can to avoid it. Either way, you're still walking in their shadow. When the cough that took over my mama stole her last breath, my pa kneeled next to her bed and told her he loved her. I asked him why he lied. He didn't hit me. He just got real quiet and asked me how the hell I knew. I've never laid eyes on blue skies, rosy cheeks, sunsets, or a pretty girl's smile. I've seen these things but not with my eyes. They don't work, never work. But in their place grew a different kind of seeing. It tickles my tongue, makes me taste things that aren't there, tells me what a person is feeling, really feeling in their bones. I'm not psychic or nothing. I can't say what someone's done, and I sure as hell don't know the future. What I have, what I had, was a peek into the very core of folks and the angels or devils that they held inside. And part of that was knowing when a person was lying. Didn't matter how big or small of a truth they was hiding. If they lied, I tasted vinegar, stout and sour. All my life, I'd known Paul thought that Ma, my brother, and me were nothing more than burdens. Any time spent on us was time he could have been drinking or playing cards. But once he got a sense of my gift, he and I began spending plenty of time together, 
Yes, I could taste his greed. Tasted like rotten meat, black pepper. But you gotta understand, boys and their father, what we won't do for a smile or a pat on the back. As we stood by Ma's bedside, I told him everything. It all came rushing out. And wouldn't you know it, he acted like he'd just been dealt a pair of aces. The taste of his greed filled my mouth, so much so that I nearly threw up. Boy, this thing you showed me, keep this between us. I just might make something of you yet. And make something he did. Paul had a job loading and unloading the steamboats that passed through on the Arkansas River. He didn't work for the money. He worked to pick up the rubes, who took the form of vagrants and sailors. He'd invite them over for a game of poker. Most of them were ex-slaves, just like Paul, never had money before, and if they followed Paul home, they wouldn't have it for long. I'll take two. Give me four. Dilla takes one. Paul was good before I started helping him. One more than he lost. But with me, well, we only lost when we wanted to. Paul would sit me right next to him at the poker table so I could get a good read on the other players. Bluffing brought the vinegar on my tongue, and I'd give two taps on Paul's knee. If a man was so excited he was fixing to burst out of his britches, my mouth flooded with a strong taste of citrus. Three taps. When the pot was counted and the losers left with empty pockets, Pa shouted the only compliment he knew. Jebediah, you son of a bitch. And keep your mouth shut. People hate cheating, but people hate freaks even more. No one suspected a thing. Paul began drinking more and more. Seeing as how all he had to do was follow my taps. And no one ever looks at a blind kid. On the occasions when guests did ask why I was at the table, Paul would tell him I was his good luck charm, which hurt my brother Eli something fierce. Before Ma died, Eli and I were together in our suffering. Now he was alone. He'd sulk in the corner, his jealousy pouring out of every part of him, hitting my mouth like spoiled cabbage. What's so lucky about you, he asked. I wanted to tell him, but Paul wouldn't allow it. Said he'd hit Eli and me both if I did. Don't know if I would have told him anyway. The rush of the game was too intoxicating. Whenever I tapped my father's leg, I'd imagine feeling the slightest touch on my back, like he was squeezing my shoulder. Truth is, his hands were always firmly wrapped around his cards and drink, but I allowed myself to believe the touch was real. I'd even will myself to taste something pleasant and sweet, like strawberry 
But deep down, I knew it was a fantasy. I was just his lucky charm. Any approval I sensed, it wasn't for me. It was for the money. But I took it anyway. The approval, that is. More money for Paul. More strawberries for me. Simple as that. For once in my life, I was something other than a burden, and that was enough to make me forsake the truth and my brother and give myself completely to the game. Raise ya. Call. Call. Show him. Well, damn. Good hand, John. Y'all got room for one more? My father pressed my foot hard. It was our signal for whenever a white man found his way to our table. Have a seat. Much obliged. Didn't happen often, but it happened enough. Table like ours was the last resort for the whites. Usually meant they'd been kicked out of all the respectable games in town. And that meant they were desperate for redemption. I knew the rules even before I sat by Paul's side. Gotta let a white man win. Too dangerous not to. A danger I really didn't understand back then. Didn't matter how many times Ma or Eli explained to me about colors and skin and all that. I never could wrap my head around the way we was treated. Paul didn't need to give me a signal for our visitor. You see, hate burns the tongue. Contempt brings salt, and I could taste both before the man walked through the door. We was nothing to him. Animals that could talk. Lower than dirt. As the game progressed, the stinging salt of the man's detestation clouded my mind. I played my part as best I could but the taste turned to throbbing, and his hate became my own. Ray's. He didn't have anything. All in. He was bluffing. Fold. He wasn't any better than Paul or me or Eli. Fold. And I wasn't about to let him think otherwise. So I tapped Paul's leg three times, making him think the man had a winning hand. Call. Huh. Well, all right then, boy. High card queen. Paul froze. Well, boy, what you got? One pair. I was sure Paul would be proud of me. I was certain that this time I wouldn't have to imagine him squeezing my shoulder. That I wouldn't have to pretend to taste the sweet, gratifying flavor of strawberries. But I was blindsided. I guess I didn't know what hate could do. You cheated me. I don't know how, but you did. Just take your money. We don't want no... It happened fast. I tasted that man's embarrassment, but I couldn't taste his intent. The drunken fools scattered around us, fumbled their way out the door. Eli screamed. Paul grabbed me and dug his nails into my arm. A sweaty, metallic taste filled the room. But it wasn't my scent. It was real. Only then, 
I realized what I'd done. That's what you call a gunshot, straight boys. Beats a cheating dog every time. You might learn something from this if you know what's good for you. He stumbled out of our house, his pockets far from empty. The stench of his vitriol lingered in my mouth. I heard Paul choking on his own blood. He wasn't going out like Mama did. There was no peacefulness, no taste of sweet honey. He was clinging to me, running from the light that pulled him towards whatever world he deserved. You did this. No taste of vinegar. I did this. I killed him. For once, he was speaking the truth. I didn't see the life fade from Paul's eyes, but I sensed it. Like the taste of smoke as it gets carried by the wind towards the horizon. Eli stood behind me, squeezing my shoulders with his shaking hand. My sense for him was already different. The wall between us gone. I could feel him growing up. Right there. He was no longer my brother. He was my protector. Felt like a cold shield pressed against my chest. I knew I could never tell him what I'd done or what I could do. I could feel people to their core, but that didn't mean I could understand them. So I buried my gift deep inside, knowing that if it came out, death would surely follow, which it did, again and again. But it was always my burden, my secret. I suppose in the end, Pleasure Town was the end I deserved. Silent and engulfed in flames. He looked like the poison and he looked like the remedy. He looked like a friend and he looked like an enemy. He looked like the future and he looked like a memory. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. He looked like like an animal dying slow. He looked like rain turning. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. I never had children, but I would be a blessed man if I was half the father you were. I never sired a child that I met. You don't have to produce a child to be a father to him, and you know exactly whom I'm talking about. Nightmares. It still ain't gone. That slave's busted face. The unnatural snap of his broken arms. I stare at the stars some nights. Try to recall his name. It drifts like mist. Try to recall my father's name. Can't drudge that up neither. It's then I retrieve it. The only item I possess from those days of youth. A swatch of fabric. That's all. Dusty plaid. Bearing the scent of farm, 
feed, manure. He pitchforked it off himself. My father did. An accident. Then tossed off that scrap of shirt with a string of curses that turn a horse's hide rosy. Couldn't tell you why I snatched it up from the dirt when he wasn't looking. Or why I rubbed it between my fingers, meditative-like, as I tossed and turned through sleepless nights. Perhaps because it was those afternoons on the farm that offered a sight of him not destroyed by the drink. We'd sweat. We'd curse. And after, he'd offer me sips from his jug. You earned this, he'd tell me. I never saw his smile, but I heard it. Happiness, well, it can be heard. And it's here. That fabric clenched between thumb and forefinger, where I hold on to my father. But the fabric remained my secret companion, even after Cyrus and I set up here in Pleasure Town. And on those nights I drifted from the thoroughfare, the whiskey in my system seeping out in the starlight, I'd bring it to my nose. Breathe in those earthen fragrances and tell myself it's important to have a history. He found me on one of those nights. The boy. Saved me, actually. Lost in an absinthe trance, I'd mounted my neighbor's trusty Polina, a clumsy steed as far gone as myself, and we trotted into that particular midnight. Right about town, I thought. But soon... We were bypassing town lines, northbound, through so much scorched earth. In the distance, unfamiliar train tracks. How far out were we? No matter. A train. I'd hop on the train. I'd go home. I'd tell him how wrong he was. It was my fault. I'd nick the whiskey, not them. He didn't have to... I tumbled from Polina's back, washed with indifference as she trotted solo back toward town. I tried to call after the horse, but all that came out was a spew of golden sick. And slowly, a subtle rumble, growing ever more intense. Through dizzy eyes, I could see the encroaching shadow, the billowing steam. I lifted myself easily enough, stepped off the tracks, but something was missing. The fabric. Pops plaid. Blame the absinthe if that helps, because I certainly can't articulate why I ventured back onto those tracks. But I did. The chugging shadow emerging from darkness to reveal a black engine of steel-forged muscle and grills that could have been a giant's grin. I could feel its heat climbing up my back as I spied the plaid beneath the rusty nail. I clambered, all knuckles and knees, toward it. I yanked it with clumsy fingers, and in the moments before I should have died, I realized my hands were no longer my hands. They were smaller, sun-baked and hairless. They were nimble in ways I wish I still was. They were once my hands. I thought through a scrim of spirits. These were once my hands. I was once myself.
Hey. Hey, dummy. I awoke into blazing sunlight. You're up. Finally. God, what a dummy. Where am I? Depot. It was small, but pristine. The boy had streaks of mud and clay caking his arms, but the depot itself was borderline luxurious. Ivory cloth was woven to house a bed of feathers in one corner, and the few chairs that peppered the space looked freshly sanded. Animal hides hung from a makeshift tannin rack. Want some snake? Snake? Want it or not? You killed a snake. Yourself. How old are you? Old enough to kill a snake. Old enough to cook it. Old enough to save your drunk ass. <laughs> I'm not drunk. Not anymore, maybe. You've been sleeping near ten hours. I remember a train. And I bet the train members you. Came close enough to smell the absinthe on your breath. Was it you? Who? The... I pulled you from in front of the train, if that's what you're asking. I don't remember. It's all a blur, I guess. I get it. What? Not remembering. What don't you remember? Nothing. We ate rattlesnake then. It was chewy and burnt, but delicious. And that particular way food is after a night of drinking. As I watched the boy eat... I found myself amazed at how I ever could have thought he looked as I did at his age. His ears were bulbous, where mine were flat, his mouth thinner, his shoulders rigid in a way that more resembled my father than myself. When I asked him how he could remember nothing, he shrugged. Glimpses here and there, I guess. But all they amount to is dust and concrete and chaos. And I don't like chaos. What do you like? Control. Well, you seem to be doing just fine. Be better if you drunks didn't wander over, needing saving. My apologies. I began to go, but then realized something. I don't know your name. The boy just looked at me, his eyes a shimmery green, giving me glimpses in the innocence he'd forgotten. Neither do I. He gave me a jug brimming with water. Leftover rattler. I need it for the walk home for it was arduous. I arrived and went promptly to the bar, where I drank until I couldn't feel the sunburns anymore. It wasn't until the following morning when my thumb and forefinger found themselves rubbing naked skin that I realized what I'd forgotten on the tracks. Thankfully, Polina had also made it back to town. You ready, girl? <laughs> As I pieced together the previous night's route from dim memories... I wondered if perhaps it was time to let it go. That's why I plaid. What use was it in Pleasure Town? What use were painful memories in a land that existed only for the present? Despite myself, we trotted on. And as the sky eased into a waning cobalt, I saw the tracks emerge from the horizon. It was right where I'd left it. The fabric. Wedged beneath that nail. I looked left looked right. No trains this time. The fabric came free with a gentle tug. I turned back to Polina, and that's when I heard it. Help! Shouting. Help! I found him on the other end of the depot, bloody and burnt and near dead. Rattlesnake. And that was when I saw them, two sets of bite marks on his right leg. Help. Polina took us home, the boy drooling on my back the entire way. Back in Pleasure Town, the doctor came. Drugs were administered. The boy would be okay. 
For three days, I steered clear of the bar, leaving only for food and water. When he awoke, he looked embarrassed. Ain't I supposed to be saving you? I gave him the water, which he sipped greedily. You earned it. I thought I could do it. Do what? Make it on my own. Seemed like you were doing okay last time I saw you. I was surviving, I suppose. But it ain't. What? I told you I don't remember where I came from. But I do. And where did you come from? A place with buildings, streets, money. And why would you want to forget that? The boy shrugged. I just wanted to be something else, that's all. But look at me now. The same sickly, bedridden kid I always was. Somebody should have stopped me. Sometimes I wish my pop had stopped me. Been waiting for me with a shotgun. Kept me on that farm. Maybe things would have been easier. I wish I'd come from a farm. I wish I'd come from anywhere other than where I came from. He meant it too. And I wondered what happened. Something happened. Unlike myself, this boy had nothing to hold on to. So I pulled out the plaid. I slipped it into his hand. This is what you was grasping at on the tracks. Take it. It's yours. No, it's yours. Every smell, every fiber and texture, every memory fused into it. They're yours, if you want them. He sniffed it. He smiled. Do you remember your name? He just nodded. What is it? The boy seemed to consider this. Finally, he looked me in the eyes. Can it be something else? Of course it can. We make our own histories here. This seemed to bring him comfort, just as it brought me comfort. He called himself Smith, saying he liked the blank slate of it. He never hunted again. Instead, the fallen years found him stepping into the role of town clerk, working right alongside me. It's not about forgetting. It's about ownership. We cannot lie about that which we own, as any fictions we create about ourselves are true so long as we believe them. And I could tell. Smith believed. I could tell every time I caught him, rubbing that scrap of fabric between his thumb and forefinger. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. You live with the man, you die with the man, you spend the afterlife with that man, and you still learn new things about him. Collar me impressed. Look, I felt bad for the kid. I remember what it was like out there, this big old world on my own. I wasn't talking about the kid. I was talking about the scrap of your father's shirt. Warms the heart to hear how you carried him with you. Heroes and villains. Sometimes, they're one and the same. Oh, and also, screw you, Sai. Love you too, Claude. Pleasure Town listeners, this is Emily Modaff, associate producer of the show, and I wanted to thank you for tuning in to episode two. 
And as always, it's time to thank the incredible crew that made this episode possible. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Lizzie Seidenstricker and Randall Colburn and performed by Michael Calicut, Shannon Kaysen, Keith Ecker, and Ben Scholler. Pleasure Town was created by Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe. Our associate producer is me, Emily Modaff, and our interns are Joe Courtney, Brady Guy, Tucker Lemons, Lizzie Seidenstricker, and Colin Wright, who's like the taste of smoke as it gets carried away by the wind. Help from WBEZ's Joe Dassault and interns Brad Helm and Colleen Pellissier. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at PleasureTownShow.com. Thanks for tuning in, Pleasure Town listeners. Now go after your happy. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.